Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a great show lined up for you. We're doing something that uh, we've gotten feedback that many of you enjoy. We're actually taking your questions. And some of you might say, well, how do we get questions into you? You can send questions through the information that's given at the breaks. But we actually get a lot of questions coming through our partner website, which is TimelessHealingInsights.org. That website is where you can find many of our free online health programs. So TimelessHealingInsights, plural, .org. So some of the questions have come through there. Others have come through other means, but they've all come to our attention. When I say our, I'm not alone in the studio. With me is my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. Sonia, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. So, Sonia, uh, folks that have heard the show before, they realize that you are also a physician. Tell us a little bit about your background. I'm a family practice physician, and I'm currently working part-time at a rural health clinic. Okay, so family practice background. You're going to be uh, asking the questions, but I know you'll be free to chime in and give some balance. We might even dialogue about some of the topics. Fair enough? Sounds good. Okay. Why don't you start us off, Sonia? What's the first question that uh, you've got lined up for us? This person says, I am a 62-year-old man living in Florida who is currently reading your Methuselah Factor book. I am experiencing symptoms of essential tremor. Is there something I need to eat or avoid that might help that? Okay, well, first of all, uh, congratulations on reading the Methuselah Factor book. So that is a fairly recently released book that I put out. Many of you who are regular listeners may have heard of the book, but uh, you don't need to purchase the book to get many of my best ideas. At TimelessHealingInsights.org, we have a program called Performance Boost 30. It's a free 30-day lifestyle program that walks you through the principles of the Methuselah Factor book. So, having said that, let's uh, move to the question. So, this person is saying they have essential tremor. So, my first concern is, and I'll be honest with you, Dr. Sonia, when a person says, I have symptoms of something, I'm asking myself, well, have they diagnosed themselves or... Did a doctor diagnose them? Usually if a doctor has diagnosed someone, they'll say, my doctor has told me I have essential tremor. Are you following along? Correct. Yes, uh, I thought about that as well. Are they actually diagnosed with that condition or do they just think they have it? The fact that they use the word essential tremor makes me think that a doctor may have told them that or at least suggested it to them because the general public may not know that term. Yeah, but the challenge and why we're speaking about this is there's so much material available on the internet and we want to talk to begin with first about tremors. What is an essential tremor and what is um, perhaps another major tremor that may be 
mistaken for it. So in my practice, the two major things that I see causing tremor, one is this essential tremor. We used to call it benign essential tremor. And if you've got a bad case of this, you're thinking it's anything but benign. The other very common um, tremor that we see is a Parkinson-related tremor or Parkinsonian tremor. Sonia, if someone came into your clinic with a Parkinson's tremor, what would that look like and how would it differ from essential tremor? A Parkinsonian tremor is often referred to as a pill-rolling tremor. The patient's hands, when they're at rest, look like they're rolling pills between their thumb and forefinger. But when they reach to do something with the hand, the tremor tends to go away. Yeah, this is an important differentiation. So we've got the uh, Parkinsonian tremor, which is a tremor at rest. And like Sonia mentioned, uh, this resting tremor goes away with intention when someone uh, goes to do something. Whereas the essential tremor is typically a tremor that we don't see at rest. So you may be just sitting there, but then you want to reach for your glass or you're eating or you're trying to sign your name, and then the tremor becomes more prominent. So this person, whether they saw a doctor or not, they may accurately be describing what they have. And here's the reason I'm belaboring this point. We have kind of a dictum in, in medicine when it comes to making a diagnosis about yourself. They told us, even as physicians, Sonia, what did they tell us if we were self-diagnosing? That you have a fool for a patient and a fool for a doctor. This is what they told us as physicians, okay? So we're, I'm not being critical of any in fact. We encourage people to try to learn as much as they can. But be careful about diagnosing yourself. You could have something more serious going on, and there's not only two types of tremor. It's not like, oh, well, I either have essential tremor or I have Parkinsonian tremor. You can have tremor from liver failure. You can have tremor from other neurologic problems. So there's actually a long list of things that can cause tremors. So here's where we're going. Let's take this at face value now. Let's say that this person has seen maybe even a neurologist and the neurologist diagnosed them as having an essential tremor. There are medications that can be used. There are lifestyle strategies that also are important, and, and let's just focus on those. So the things that I emphasize when I'm dealing with a patient with essential tremor is, uh, first of all, avoid anything that stimulates what we call your sympathetic nervous system. So, Sonia, we talk about the autonomic or unconscious nervous system Help us to understand that just a bit. The autonomic nervous system is the part of our neurological makeup that controls things in our body that we don't have to think about. It just automatically does it. For instance, uh, breathing. Most people, unless they have a severe uh, problem such as uh, polio or something where they've been paralyzed, we don't have to think about breathing we don't have to think to make our heart beat. We don't have to think to digest our food. These are all things that are affected by the autonomic nervous system. You know, some of you might be scratching your head about the, the polio uh, connection, you know, in paralysis, but it's actually true. So if you paralyze the nerve that operates your diaphragm, we call it the phrenic nerve, that can affect your breathing, or, if, or the polio can affect your brainstem, which is... Um, often the bigger concern, where this is uh, 
part of your brain that is actually controlling your drive to breathe. So autonomic nervous system, keeping it simple, is the nervous system that controls, as Sonia mentioned, these unconscious processes. And we've got the sympathetic arm, which you've heard of, no doubt, the fight or flight arm of the nervous system. And then we have the parasympathetic and that is sometimes referred to as the rest and digest arm. If you ramp up the sympathetic arm, this is going to make tremor worse. It's going to make you more likely to have heart palpitations. It's going to make you more likely to have problems with anxiety. It's going to tend to raise blood pressure, raise blood sugar. So what kind of things raise or stimulate the sympathetic nervous system? Probably the single most common thing that I see is actually caffeine, that and nicotine are really at the top of the list. That is correct. Nicotine and caffeine are two of the biggies. I was um, actually working with a patient not all that long ago, and they had another ene, so not just caffeine and nicotine that were stimulating their sympathetic nervous system, but they were also using a stimulant illegally. So they were um, using methamphetamine, and uh, this individual was also having symptoms of sympathetic nervous system excess, and one of them can be tremor. So this person who's tuned in, one of the things we're going to say is make sure that you're avoiding all of these in things, the caffeine, the nicotine, the illegal drugs, and other things that can help with uh, balancing the sympathetic nervous system are making sure you're getting adequate sleep, even if you're spending enough time in bed if you have a sleep apnea, the way that you function if you have sleep apnea is your body ramps up that sympathetic nervous system during the day. So treating sleep apnea can actually help with some of these processes that drive the sympathetic nervous system. So anything else, Sonia, that you think we should add as far as this question? No, I think that's good. Uh, and let's move on to the next question. So another person says this. I am a 54-year-old woman who has cirrhosis of the liver from alcohol use. I have been in recovery for 10 years and have not had a drink, but I have severe cirrhosis. Every time I leave my house and do anything, more and more I feel like there is a chemical imbalance in my brain that makes me dizzy and fatigued and causes me to want to sleep. It can last one or two days afterwards. It causes very strange and disturbing dreams, Normally, I don't remember dreaming, but with this, I do. Until the last six to eight weeks, I didn't take naps. But now, every time I go out or just stand up for more than 30 minutes, I get this continuing problem. I'm taking my lactulose and all medication as prescribed every day. This has made me limit doing things as much as possible. Do you have any advice? Okay, well, this is a challenging situation, and it's one that we deal with actually quite frequently. In my practice, I do have a number of patients who have liver issues, cirrhosis specifically. It so happens in the patient group that I see, most common cause is alcoholic cirrhosis. So it's surprising to many people. They can drink for many years, feel perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden, it seems like their liver has failed. Uh, but it's really been happening gradually over many years. So it's a tragic situation. Of course, cirrhosis can be caused by multiple things. Uh, 
You can have a fatty liver. You can have diabetes, extra weight, fat stored in the liver. That fat is irritating the liver. That can scar it. You could have uh, infectious causes, hepatitis B or C. The bottom line, though, is when you have cirrhosis, that's a scarring of the liver, a number of things happen that can relate to what this uh, woman is talking about. Let's talk, first of all, about a connection with a medication that she mentioned, and that is lactulose. So lactulose is a syrup that we give patients with cirrhosis to lower their ammonia levels. The liver is involved with processing ammonia. It's a waste product of protein and nitrogen in the body. And if um, ammonia builds up in the body, it can cause many of these symptoms, you know, fatigue, confusion, a lack of mental clarity. So basically, even though the person is taking medication to lower ammonia levels, I'm always saying, well, how well is it working? So that's one of the questions that really is important. So my first point to this individual would be make sure that their doctor is monitoring their ammonia level. And if it's elevated, that may be part of their problem. So second thing that I would mention in this scenario is individuals with cirrhosis, the liver is a very important organ as far as blood flow as well. If you scar the liver, blood flow from the lower part of your body is going to be impaired and you're going to tend to have fluid buildup, uh, can be in the abdomen in the form of something we call ascites, that's fluid buildup in the abdominal cavity, or you could have um, fluid buildup in the legs, often both, so swelling in the legs and swelling in the abdominal cavity. Sonia, you and I have both seen individuals with ascites. Describe what it looks like. What would someone look like? Let's say a man has ascites, and they walk into your office, what might the appearance be? I've seen people who have ascites uh, severe enough that it really looks like they're very pregnant. Yeah, so that's what it can look like. In a man, we're not going to make a misdiagnosis, but in a younger woman, you might say, is this person pregnant? We're going to talk about how cirrhosis can be related to some of the... Uh, concerns that this individual has. If you're just jumping on, I'm Dr. David DeRose, my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. We're taking questions that have come through to us at either American Indian and Alaska Native Living or our sister website, TimelessHealingInsights.org. We're going to be back with more of this particular case and more questions after these announcements. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Dr. David DeRose with my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose. We are taking your questions today, and we're speaking about a question that we are carrying over from the last segment, an individual with cirrhosis and various problems, including, Sonia, why don't you mention, just uh, just to recap, if someone's just joining us. This person is uh, dealing with uh, problems that relate to the fact that she has cirrhosis from previous alcohol use, and she is stating that she feels like she has a, a chemical imbalance in her brain. Anytime she does anything active, she feels dizzy, fatigued, and wants to sleep. Okay, so with that in mind, we're talking about different things that can affect brain clarity with cirrhosis. Uh, we've talked about ammonia and uh, how that's important to monitor. But now we're talking about this other phenomenon where the liver, because of its scarring, there's fluid imbalance problems. So people are prone to ascites. We explained how people can have fluid buildup in the abdomen or in the legs, lower part of the body. And as a result, these individuals often are in fluid restrictions. They're being given uh, diuretic medications, medications to promote water elimination. They may have um, what we call paracentesis done, which is where a needle is put into the abdomen and fluid is drained out of the abdomen to remove that ascites. All of these things can put the person in a situation where they are what we call hypovolemic, dehydrated, simply put. If a person is dehydrated, because you, you'll notice in the scenario that, uh, that Sonia read, she was having problems when she's up, when she's up about doing things. If you're volume depleted and you're up and about, you can be prone to something that is called orthostasis or orthostatic changes. 
That means you have trouble getting enough blood flow to your brain, and this can cause lightheadedness. It can cause a person to pass out even. So what we're going to say for this person, two main takeaways, at least for me, Sonia, is make sure you have your current ammonia level checked and that it's good, being adequately controlled with the lactulose. If it's not, there's other medications that can be used as well. And then the other thing is try to make sure your volume status is optimal. Ask your doctor to check you. You can be checked for orthostatic changes. We do that by checking pulse and blood pressure, lying, sitting, and standing can be done in the clinic quite simply. Sonia, before we go from that question, I think the main issue that we want to emphasize, though, has to do with preventing cirrhosis. It's really a pretty nasty condition. We talked about several things that can contribute to it. What take-home messages for our listeners do you have as far as cirrhosis prevention? Stay away from alcohol and any of the other things that can cause cirrhosis. Alcohol is the biggest factor, but other things, as we mentioned earlier, some of the different hepatitises can cause cirrhosis, and those can be, depending on which type of hepatitis, can be caused by food contamination or others are sexually transmitted. So being careful with what you eat, what you drink, and how you live makes a big difference. And just to the point about the hepatitis, Talk with your doctor. If you don't recall ever being screened for hepatitis, there are certain groups that are higher risk, and it's not just based on, like Sonia mentioned, you know, sexual transmission. There are certain age groups in the U.S. that we do recommend be screened at least once in their lifetime for hepatitis C. For example, our blood supply was not being screened for that uh, some years back, and you could have had surgeries or other things. You may not have realized that you got blood, and you could have been exposed to hepatitis C, and it could be gradually, silently, eating away at your liver, ultimately setting you up for serious problems like cirrhosis. And the reason it's so important to get checked for that is because there is actually now a treatment for hepatitis C. So if you are testing positive for that, you can be treated for it. Yeah, so multiple drug regimens now for it. Yes, it used to be an untreatable condition, now uh, generally highly treatable. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question. So uh, what have you got there for us, Sonia? All right. Uh, Next uh, person sent this question in, and it says, I am one of your regular radio listeners who lives in the state of Maine. A dear friend of mine was one of the healthiest women that I knew. She did everything right, exercised right, etc. However, a couple of years ago, I tended her funeral. Even though she had never smoked, she died of lung cancer. It made me think, what's the point? Does it really make any difference what we do? Okay, well, I mean, this is one of the frustrations in life. When we talk about chronic diseases, we always say as physicians they are multifactorial. That means there's multiple things that contribute to chronic disease. In the case of cancer, multiple factors. There can be genetic factors. There can be environmental factors. There can be early life history factors. There can be disease-related factors, certain uh, viruses. We mentioned earlier uh, hepatitis. Hepatitis B, for example, for years has been a well-known contributor to liver cancer. We talked about that connection with cirrhosis and liver cancer. The human papillomavirus, HPV, a known risk factor for cervical cancer, cancer of the opening of the womb in women. When it comes to lung cancer, there is an environmental factor, and it's interesting that the person did uh, share that they're from the state of Maine. Sonia, you and I have some personal 
uh, insights uh, from our time living in Maine about a specific uh, cancer risk factor. Why don't you share that with us? Yes, uh, many people don't seem to be too aware of this, but uh, radon, which is an odorless, colorless, tasteless gas, but it's radioactive, is the leading cause of lung cancer in the United States in non-smokers, and it's the second leading cause of cancer overall after smoking. And it's especially high in uh, certain areas of the country, including Maine, actually large sections of the country. The southeast tends to have less levels of radon, but when we moved to Maine and bought a house there, we had the radon levels checked, and they were very high, and we had to have radon mitigation systems put in place to address that issue. So what we're saying here is, of course, we don't know the details about this particular friend. And of course, just because someone lived in Maine doesn't mean they had high radon exposure. I will share one additional anecdote about our experience in Maine. When we did find that we had these high radon levels and we had someone come out to put a system in, they said, oh, well, yeah, your foundation is already set to put a radon mitigation unit in. And we said, like, what? And they said, oh, yeah, you know, everybody around this you know, area has radon problems, so they just have your foundation set up for a unit. And we're thinking, like, oh, you know, it would be nice if someone had told us that up front. We did know that before buying the house, and it was uh, something that was addressed in one of the contingencies. But the the whole point of what we're saying is radon, if it's not on your radar screen, it should be. Sonia did mention the Southeast, and appropriately so. I think um, we actually, before the show, looked at some of the radon maps. And uh, Louisiana, you know, one of the lowest states as far as radon exposures. But the problem with it is, even if you're in a state with low radon exposures, you can be in an area where you have high radon. So you can't just look at a map and say, oh, my area is great. I don't need to worry. We recommend that everyone test their dwelling place for radon you can get a simple home test kit, usually for $10, $15, maybe $20. Get that checked and then explore options. You know, someone says, well, I have no money. I couldn't do anything anyway. I can't put a, a mitigation system in. Is there anything simple that someone could do? We're not saying this is as good as a formal system, but is there anything they could do if they say, I know I've got a radon problem. Maybe I'm in an apartment or maybe I'm limited in my means. Is there anything they can do to decrease their radon exposure? Yes, uh, there actually is, and that is a simple thing of just making sure that you have good air circulation throughout your house, that you have windows open to have fresh air coming in. Also, if you have a basement window, if there's a window that opens, you can put a little fan in that open window, just tape it there or fasten it there somehow, with the fan blowing out. So it's going to be sucking the air out of the basement and that can actually help to lower your levels. Now, as we mentioned, that's not a replacement for a proper radon mitigation system. Okay, so bottom line with the question, we can do everything right, it seems, but we're all affected by different things in our environment. Radon is one of them, whole list of other things too. But the bottom line is the healthier you live, if you look at statistically across the country, across the world, the longer you live, the better you live. This individual, even though tragically they died at a young, relatively young age, they could have well died much earlier had they not been living as healthfully. 
We have to step away just briefly. We've got a lot more of your questions coming up as we continue today's program. The second half of American Indian and Alaska Native Living is coming up right after this. Stay with us. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Hello, I'm Dr. David DeRose, host of American Indian and Alaska Native Living Radio with a special word of appreciation for all of you who make this show possible. This radio show comes to you as the result of generous donors who have given us the ability to produce this broadcast for over 20 years. Some of these donors also support our sister programming that is released through Timeless Healing Insights at TimelessHealingInsights.org. You've likely heard us speak about some of those free programs on previous episodes. If you haven't, we have comprehensive programs that use short online videos to help with high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, and more. Because of that strong connection, TimelessHealingInsights.org provides a single website to access our radio archives and other free health programs that can help you, your family, and your tribe. Thanks again to all of you who make these quality resources available. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for a second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me in the studio, Dr. Sonia DeRose, Sonia DeRose family practitioner working uh, with me right now in our studio to answer your questions. She's been asking the questions and helping me with the answers. Sonia, you've got another question that's come through. And before we take it, just a quick reminder, probably the simplest way to get questions through to us, the most efficient, is by going through our sister website, which is TimelessHealingInsights.org. So TimelessHealingInsights.org. You can just go through the Contact Us link and reach us. You've also heard people speaking about some of our uh, programs over the course of the radio show. I think you've got a question here from one of the people going through one of those programs or engaging with one of our books. What we've done is we've put together a number of free online resources. Uh, Timeless Healing Insights is devoted only to free resources. So we've taken a lot of the best insights from our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, and The Methuselah Factor, put them into free programs for you to benefit from. So, great place to get health information. Also, best way to ask questions of us. And that's what we've got in front of us right now, a question that came through that portal. Uh, go ahead, Sonia, help us uh, with it. So this person says, I have resistant hypertension. I have tried lisinopril. 100 milligrams of losartan and 180 milligrams of diltiazem. That's what I'm on now. I refuse to do more than two meds at a time, as I read in the 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure that it can cause other heart problems. I do have sleep apnea, diagnosed with it in 2012. That is the only thing I can think of for it being resistive to treatment. I do not do tobacco, alcohol, or caffeine, I eat very little meat, and I'm working on eating a balanced diet. I do struggle with getting enough veggies in my diet. What can I do? There seems to be no cure for sleep apnea. My cardiologists don't seem to want to explore natural means. I am five foot three and I'm 162 pounds. I have not been able to get the weight off. I'm wondering if that is due to hormones. I had a hysterectomy in 1995 and sporadically did hormone replacement therapy, as cancer runs in my family and I did not want to get cancer. It's been a very long time since I had any hormone therapy. The weight went on in the last three years. Previously, I was 145 and felt great. Any suggestions? Okay, so there's a lot here to talk about. So first, let's uh, discuss this whole aspect of taking multiple medications and, as the person put, they said that they read in our book that it can cause other heart problems. Let me clarify that. So it's true. The more medications you take, the more possibility there are for side effects and for drug interactions. But that is not a reason why a person can't take more than one medication. So, or more than two or more than three. Some people are on multiple things that all affect blood pressure. They might be on a diuretic. Maybe they also have tendency to fluid retention. Maybe they've had a past heart attack and their doctor wants them on a beta blocker. This also has blood pressure lowering effects. Maybe they have heart failure 
They're on multiple medications, some of which are causing additional blood pressure lowering. So first message to this individual, as well as to others, don't interfere with your doctor's ability to manage you optimally with medications by making stipulations on what they can or can't do. Sure, if you have a problem with a particular medication, you may need to avoid that. But let's move on and talk about these couple of other aspects then. So first thing is don't be afraid to explore other medication options, but then uh, even if it means taking three medications, but then I'm with this patient, Sonia, because I want to help them decrease their dependence on those medicines. So let's talk about diet. The person does speak about diet. They mention it in a number of ways about decreasing their meat consumption, but not maybe doing as well as they could with vegetables. What in my book and in our free 30-day program online that we call 30 Days to Better Health, what in those programs would lead someone to move more in a direction of eating more plant foods? Well, there's abundant scientific research that shows that the plant foods, especially the fruits and vegetables and other whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, the whole plant foods are loaded with all kinds of wonderful properties, including natural compounds that help to lower blood pressure. So eating more of those types of foods can actually benefit you in lowering your blood pressure and just giving you better health. Yes, one of the most fascinating things we included in our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, is a particular plant food constituent. I think it's especially interesting in light of the medications that were mentioned. So what we now know is there are actually natural plant what we call ACE inhibitory compounds. So these are drug-like compounds that are found in multiple plants. And two of the medications that this person mentioned, lisinopril and losartan, work on this general system. There's a complex name for it. Uh, It has to do with various hormones. We talk about the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. This is speaking about multiple... um, blood pressure-affecting hormones in the body that are affected by natural compounds. And some of these natural compounds are found in uh, large amounts, or let's put it this way, are found in significant amounts in plant foods. Among the list included in our book, uh, if you do have a copy of the book, it's on page 91, it's figure 5.7. These are um, a partial listing of foods with these blood pressure, natural blood pressure lowering compounds. So broccoli, buckwheat, chickpeas, corn, garlic, mung beans, mushrooms, peanuts, potatoes, rice, soybeans, spinach, sunflowers, and wheat. So what we're talking about here, and you know, this person is saying they're not getting enough vegetables, Uh, This is one of the things that we emphasize, eating more of these plant foods with these naturally occurring ACE inhibitory compounds. They're also rich in a variety of nutrients like magnesium, calcium, and potassium, all of which have blood pressure-lowering properties. 
some of the other things to watch out for in your diet are processed foods because processed foods generally are high in sodium or saturated fat or sugar or a combination of them all. And the sodium especially is an issue with blood pressure. So again, trying to focus on whole plant foods simply prepared can really make a difference in your blood pressure control. Yeah, so important point, and you know, just to emphasize something that causes a lot of confusion, some people will hear that there are some people that are salt-sensitive and it affects their blood pressure, and other people uh, don't seem to be very sensitive to the salt, and people say, well, how do I know? And what we always say is, well, try it, you know, go on a lower-sodium diet and see if it helps the blood pressure, rather than saying, well, you know, I don't, I looked and, you know, I'm in a racial category or group that doesn't seem to be, you know, particularly prone to this. No, you may still be sensitive to the sodium. So basically, yes, more of those plant foods, more of those vegetables, that's definitely one thing that this individual can do. But the second issue has to do with sleep apnea and with their weight. And these are also both drivers for high blood pressure. So sleep apnea clearly has blood pressure elevating properties. We mentioned it earlier in the show with ramping up the sympathetic nervous system. This is a part of the nervous system that is involved with the so-called fight or flight response. And think about it, if you're being chased by a tiger, you want your stress hormones to be high so that you can run or fight if need be. So what does this all have to do with the sleep apnea? We're not talking necessarily about drug treatment for sleep apnea. The most common treatment, uh, Sonia, that uh, our patients are on is what? It's something called CPAP, which is a device that you wear at night, and it's actually helping your airway to stay open and giving you positive pressure to help you breathe adequately and not have the apneic periods. And this can really be very effective in helping to treat the sleep apnea, and consequently to lower blood pressure. As uh, Dr. DeRose mentioned, if you're constantly sleep-deprived because of the sleep apnea, your body has to raise its stress hormones in order to stay awake. And that, in turn, is going to adversely affect your blood pressure. So let's talk about the weight issue, and probably the best way to direct someone is this individual has engaged with our website. They may not have seen our FAST8 program. Now, that's not an automated program. It's a program that we ran in real time. Uh, Several hundred people signed up for that in, uh, I want to say, spring, summer of 2023. We actually put on an eight-week program where we walk through uh, principles that can help people with weight loss Let me just give one of them. The basis of the program was there's a, quote, a variety of fasting strategies that can help people lose weight. One that I'd like to highlight is fasting after 3 p.m. So the calories that we take in later in the day often go to contributing to weight gain. So one of the recommendations would be if you can leave off taking in calories after 3 in the afternoon. This is something that we find uh, really very helpful in many individuals with helping them trim down. We've got a lot of other practical strategies, all free, 
Fast Aid is the name of the program. The website, again, TimelessHealingInsights.org. And by the way, great place to go if you've got questions and want us to answer them in a future show. Sonia, I noticed something came through the website, which is actually a person who did go through the Fast Aid program, and it's a testimonial. Why don't you just hand me that? I know you've got it on your device there. Okay, got it here. Thank you. Let me just read that because that was inspiring to me, and it might be inspiring to this uh, individual and others. This person says, thank you. Woohoo! Saw my cardiologist today. With my weight loss and overall health, I no longer will be taking one of my blood thinners, and I will stop my blood pressure medicine also. Yay. So uh, this is uh, one of the alumni of the Fast Aid program. Let me just read the comment. I'm so thankful that God led me to hear about your Fast Aid program as well as many of your programs that I've been blessed with. So this is just one of the testimonials of people that uh, we've had. It just happened to come through around the same time as this question. So we've got some additional questions that we're going to be taking up in our final segment of today's broadcast. We are going to step away just briefly and come back with more on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, your host with uh, my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose, who has been asking me questions that have come through our uh, website and through other sources. TimelessHealingInsights.org is a way to give us questions for future programs. Sonia, one of the people that reached out through that portal has a question that we're going to tackle right now. What is it? This person says, Your program has been on my radar since last summer, but I didn't start it until November. Now, let me just pause here and say that apparently this person is referring to the free online health program we offer called 30 Days to Better Health, which can be found at TimelessHealingInsights.org. The person goes on to say, In glancing through all the daily challenges, I'm anticipating that I will have some struggles with low-sodium options and the hydrotherapy. It has been a shock to look at labels to see sodium levels rarely lower than calories, often more than five times the amount of calories, up to some organic mushroom soup that had 190 calories and 1,680 milligrams sodium per serving. I have my doubts that I will ever get to all low-sodium options. One thing that was very disheartening to me was learning that neither carrots nor celery are low-sodium options. Should I be trying to have all low-sodium options, or can it be balanced out with some very low-sodium options or perhaps a lower-sodium target for the entire day instead of for each food item? Any recommendations or solutions would be greatly appreciated. Also, I have not signed up for the user portal because I didn't want to have another username and password to keep track of. Am I missing a good deal of important information by not using it? Thank you so much for making this program available. Okay, well, first let's talk about the program and the logistics, because that's the last uh, part of the question about the user portal. So basically, when you sign up for one of these free programs, whether it's 30 Days to Better Health, whether it's the Performance Boost 30, whether it's the Fast 8 Weight Loss Program that we mentioned, they typically have a user portal, especially with these automated programs. And let's focus on the 30 Days to Better Health, which is a program especially for diabetes and high blood pressure. So what happens is when you sign up for the free program, you get a link in your inbox every day. So it's you give us your email address. It's all automated. And then each day you'll get a link to a short video where I give you different pointers, something specific to work on. Uh, the person referenced these daily challenges. Let's say you're in day five of the program and you haven't watched the videos for day uh, three and four. So you watch day one, day two, but you got busy and you didn't keep up with the program. Well, if you go to the user portal, you can access all of the videos that have already been released. So we release one new video a day that has those daily pointers. So it is useful to use the user portal. We recommend that. And we often get questions through the website about people saying, how do I access that? When you're getting the daily email, there'll be a graphic with a timeline that shows where you're at in the program. You can just click on that timeline and it will take you to the user portal. Okay, so let's come back to the other part of the question, which has to do with sodium intake. 
I mean, it's a great question that follows up on what we talked about in the last segment because sodium for many people is a compound that drives blood pressure. We have a very simple recommendation as far as what someone should look at on a nutrition label when it comes to getting lower sodium choices. Sonia, what do we instruct people on and whether they're reading our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, or whether they're going through our free program, 30 Days to Better Health? We give us a guideline to try to choose foods that don't have more milligrams of sodium per serving than they have calories per serving. So this is the key point. If you look at a nutrition facts label, you only have to look at two things. Look at the calories in the serving. So let's say it's 120 calories. And then as Sonia mentioned, the other thing you're going to compare is milligrams of sodium. So let's say it has 240 milligrams of sodium. So you just compare the numbers. 120 calories, 240 milligrams of sodium. That's more sodium than calories. You would leave that item out if you're on the 30 Days to Better Health program. Now, the confusing thing is there are some healthy plant foods that are relatively, quote, high in sodium. I mean, the amount of sodium in them is pretty small, but they don't have many calories. So this individual was looking at food composition uh, data, and they identified uh, carrots and celery. We don't limit those on the program. So anything that's a whole plant food, you're fine with eating that. If it comes out of the produce section, comes out of your garden, comes out of nature, you gathered some berries, whatever, you don't have to worry about how much sodium is in it. You say, well, how much sodium is in wild blueberries? No, you don't have to worry about that. So if you're eating the whole plant foods, don't be concerned about it. These are for the processed foods, foods that have nutrition facts labels that are made in our high-tech world, if you will. Look at the labels. We do recommend for all the foods that you're eating, if you're going to follow the program, 30 Days to Better Health, for that month, you leave all those things out if there's more milligrams of sodium in the food than calories. Sonia, any uh, comments from your perspective? That being said, though, as this person mentioned, if you're really watching your sodium intake carefully with your different selections, sure, if you balance it out to have a low amount each day overall, you know, after the program's over, whatever, say there's a certain food that you really want to eat some of, if you're not consuming a high amount of sodium in that day, uh, that should be fine to have a little bit of that as well. But you definitely want to balance it out with really low sodium options so you're not consuming too much sodium. And what Sonia is saying is true. I mean, if you have a powwows coming up or there's some special recipe that is in the family or there's something that's really special to you, well, yeah, you could eat some higher sodium foods, but from the standpoint of blood pressure control, yes, what Sonia is saying is true. But the problem that I have and what we're trying to help people do during the 30 days is re-educate their taste. In the research with sodium, it actually takes like three months before you fully develop a taste for low-sodium foods. And when you have those high-sodium options, even though you might say it balanced out, Sonia's being very gracious. I'm a little bit more strict about it sometimes and say, on the 30-day program, really even try to leave out those special things if you can. So basically, you got two doctors giving you a choice on this one. So take advantage of that. 
Sonia, we've got another one that's talking now, a question that's come through, talking about some of the other electrolytes, yes, these minerals, if you will. Help us out with this question. This person says, aren't there different types or forms of magnesium? I've heard that some types aren't that helpful, and others that are less common are the types that help more. Exactly what should we look for in a magnesium supplement? Also, currently I'm taking a calcium citrate, magnesium, and zinc supplement that includes magnesium oxide, magnesium stearate, and manganese gluconate. Is that related to magnesium? I'm considering stopping this supplement and instead taking just zinc and magnesium separately. Is that a good idea or not? I really appreciate all the advice through the videos and I'm very thankful this program is available. Okay, so let's just tackle the few things that are mentioned here. So first of all, simple uh, question, manganese and magnesium. No, they're two different uh, elements. Magnesium, if you go through our materials, whether it's a free online program or books, magnesium has a number of helpful properties. So just consuming more magnesium in your diet and just natural foods has been associated with lower risk of diabetes. Magnesium has blood pressure-lowering effects. It helps with bowel regularity. It uh, can help calm the heart, uh, you know, certain heart rhythm problems we sometimes see uh, are calmed with the use of magnesium. So we do often recommend individuals supplementing with magnesium, providing they don't have kidney problems. If you've got kidney failure, magnesium can be very dangerous, can build up to toxic levels. So the bottom line with magnesium is I don't get too worried about whether it's magnesium oxide, magnesium stearate, magnesium gluconate, because we have people titrate to effect. In other words, if we're trying to help someone have uh, looser stools, they have constipation, we'll say gradually increase the magnesium until the stools are the right consistency. And yeah, some magnesiums are more bioavailable than others, but when you're using it to affect, that kind of works itself out. Well, Sonia, our time has just about slipped away. I know there's some other things we could have talked about in that question but we do need to wind up. I want to thank you for joining me in the studio today. I know you've got a lot on your plate, so thank you for uh, helping me not only answering the questions, but sharing your uh, medical insights. Glad I could be here with you. And uh, I want to thank each of you, our listeners, for joining us on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I want to remind you that if you've got questions, you'd like us to tackle them in a future show, the single best place to reach out to us is through TimelessHealingInsights.org. Well, hopefully today's material has been helpful to you, has given you some new insights, maybe some new encouragement to stick with a program or to try one of our free programs. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.